You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. All right. So, of course, kids up to second grade, if you want to send them out to one of the classes, you can do that now. Their teachers will take them where they're supposed to be. And uh, we have just a few announcements before we uh, get into the word here. Uh, some, a uh, couple of, well, one regular thing, the Genesis Student Ministry uh, meeting this Wednesday at 6.30, as always, up here. And uh, something uh, unique, though, happening in the student ministry is a retreat for those guys, um, which is April 28th and 29th. It's just $25. Um, and I think most of that probably goes towards Cheetos and Oreos. Um, <laughs> $25, so, uh, oh, the money is due by April 5th, is that right, Nick? April 5th, uh, and you can see Nick for more information about that if, uh, if you've got teenagers. And then uh, the other thing is the Brantner adoption. Uh, Matt, our worship pastor, uh, is currently in the process along uh, with Carla, his wife, of adopting a little boy from China. And they are really coming near to the finish line there financially. And um, there's a benefit that we're holding here to, uh, to help them cross that finish line. And so you could just see uh, either Matt or Carla for more information on that. Uh, and I know they would appreciate it. So, all right, uh, Genesis chapter 4 this morning. We've, we've been through chapters 1 through 3. And we're actually, by God's grace, we'll make it all the way through chapter 4. It's kind of one narrative set on its own. So just as we normally do, I'll read this text out loud if you'd follow along. And then um, I'd like to pray for some help. So Genesis chapter 4. says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. 
and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujel, and Mehujel fathered Methushel, and Methushel fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, and, the, and the, uh, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful to you that you would gather us here together and meet with us. Thank you for your word. We understand this morning, Lord, that we are at your mercy. That if you don't speak to us, if you don't work in our hearts, then this is all purposeless. Then it's just a social gathering of of people with no power. But we know that with you, Lord, there's such great, glorious purpose in our gathering this morning that we would meet with you, that we would hear from you, that you would teach us, not just teach us to act a certain way or say certain things, but that you would teach us to know you and follow you to walk with you closely and experience your grace and your glory. And that's what we want, Lord. We want to know you, and we want to know your grace and your glory. So please, Holy Spirit of God, please wield the word this morning. Cause it to stir up faith and worship inside of us to enlighten us so that we would know you more. Please magnify and glorify Jesus, our Savior, this morning. Let us see clearly how your word exalts him, prepares us for him. We love you, Lord. We depend on you. And we pray these things for your name's sake. Amen. All right, so just to kind of recap here, um, to, to bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us. God has created the heavens and the earth. He's created everything that physically exists and, and even created 
angelic beings. He's created a, a place for us to go when we die. All these things have been created by God. On the seventh day, he rests from all of his creating work. And then we get this recap in chapter two of the sixth day of creation when mankind was made. He made Adam first, right out of the dust of the ground, he formed Adam, and then he saw that it wasn't good that Adam should be alone, but that he needed a helper, an easer is the Hebrew word, someone who could provide strength where it was lacking. And God saw that a woman would be that strengthening agent that Adam needed to be who he was called to be, and that Adam would be a leader, be a husband for her to help her be who she was created to be. So Adam and Eve are placed there, created and placed in the garden of Eden. And in Eden and in the whole earth, life is perfect. There's no sin, there's no failure, there's no destruction, and there's no death. It's a beautiful place. But we see as they're residing there, living there, and working there, that this serpent possessed by Satan who had been one of God's angels but who had sinned in his pride against God and wanted to overthrow the authority of God and be like him, he was thrown down to the earth and he was cursed and condemned. And he hated God and he hated God's creation and especially God's most precious creation, mankind. And so it was in the heart of Satan to deceive them and lead them into sin so he did this by tempting them to eat of a tree that God said they should not eat. And eating of this tree would cause them to come, become aware of good and evil, not in the kind of innocent state that they were in now, but it would cause them to become aware of the existence of rebellion against God. And they were tempted and they failed. They sinned against God. And rather than knowing good and evil because of their obedience, because of their faith in God, they came to know good and evil through their evil actions. They came to know evil through their shame, and they came to know God's righteousness through falling from it. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We see in chapter 3, they were hiding their shame and then they were hiding from God. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man hid his wife and hid himself from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord comes to them. He knows what's happened. He pronounces judgment on them for having sinned. He curses all of them, including Satan. Satan, he said, would be crushed by an offspring of Eve. Eve, he said, would have pain in childbirth and that there would be this desire in her to rule over her husband, but that she would be subject to him. He cursed Adam by cursing the ground, that work would no longer just be this free and joyful and productive activity, but it would be toilsome and the ground would rebel against the work of the man. And then here they are, separated from God, still desiring fellowship with him, but finding their fellowship broken. And now they're working the ground and toiling in a world that's now broken by sin. And sin has entered into their hearts. Again, they love God. 
They want to walk with God. But there's a limitation on them now. Sin. Now we come to chapter 4. At this point, again, we know that sin has entered into their hearts. We know that they've rebelled against God. And yet, we don't have any here, in anywhere here, some characterization by Moses who wrote this, that sin was just running rampant. We know that they sinned, but we don't get the idea that they were constantly sinning as if they hated God, as if they wanted nothing to do with God. They were ashamed, and yet God had been gracious. God had covered their nakedness. God had still allowed them to live on physically in the world, and he was still relating to them, even though their relationship was not the same, because he was holy and they now were not. God in his grace was still close to them. We even see here in the very first verse, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. In other words, they were still living out this mandate to be fruitful and multiply. God hadn't just cursed them with, with a life of, uh, of nothingness, but he was allowing them to go on and live out this mandate on humanity. But look what Eve says. After conceiving and having Cain, she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. With the help of the Lord. This is a true statement. The Lord helped her, and she knew that. So we know, again, that God is being gracious to them. We know that he's helping them, and we know that Eve recognizes that and honors God for helping them. And again, she bore his brother Abel. So here we now have Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and potentially some other female offspring from Adam and Eve. We know from the text that there must have been women now populating the earth more than just Eve. And in some exceptional way, the Lord allows for this. So don't get hung up on some kind of incest thing. How did you want to do it? What was your plan? But here, as is often the, the case in these ancient texts, the kind of prominent figures are highlighted and the less prominent figures are not. And so the, the intent of this text is to tell us about Cain and Abel and to lead us in a progression of events to kind of help us understand sin and righteousness and how God is working in the world among sinful people. So verse 2. Again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Those are both good things. Those are both fruitful things. They're both work that pleases the Lord. Verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now just standing on its own, is there anything wrong with that? Cain brought to the Lord an offering from the fruit of the ground. But look at it in contrast to verse 4. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. 
You notice there's more distinction there. There's more descriptive words there about the offering of Abel. There wasn't anything exceptional about the offering of Cain, but there was something exceptional about the offering of Abel. Cain's offering from the ground, Abel's offering from the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So just keep that kind of logged away in your mind. But for Cain and his offering... Uh, Sorry, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. In other words, the Lord looked favorably upon what Abel had brought, but he didn't look favorably upon what Cain had brought. So, as you would expect, second half of verse 5, Cain was very angry and his face fell. Why angry? You could understand his face falling, That seems natural. He was sad. The Lord didn't have any kind of regard for the offering that he had brought. And so you could imagine here, Cain was ashamed. Cain was sad. Cain was brokenhearted and his face fell. And then there was an outbreaking of joyous music. (laughs) Not at all what you expected. I love moments like that. Because you know what it does? It reminds us that we're just a bunch of people in a room, right? As much as we want church to be some kind of, you know, slick operation. So here's Cain, and, and you could imagine, you know, all these different ways that he would feel, all the emotions of bringing something to God and God having no regard for it. Imagine yourself in that moment. Before you just jump forward in the text and you're like, I can't believe he killed his brother, because you already know, stay here in the text, right where we are. Imagine that you're working, and it's hard work because the ground has already been cursed because of Adam. This this work is hard to get the earth to produce fruit, fruit that's worth eating, fruit that's sustaining to life. You're working hard, and you have a desire to please God, and so God being the creator of everything and all-powerful and mighty and terrifying in his authority, you want to bring something to God to appease him, to please him, and so you gather up things to bring God, and you set it before him, and God has no regard for it. Emotionally, what happens for you? The feeling of rejection, that pain. But why is it here that Cain feels angry? Not just brokenhearted, not just sad. He feels angry and his face fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, I, I want to get, get in this text with you into some of the language here because when you see the Lord saying, if you, do will, if you do well, will you not be accepted? There's another way in the Hebrew that you can take that word accepted. Will you not be accepted? We want to immediately make that about if you do good things for God, then God will accept you. But... 
there's a connotation here in the Hebrew about being accepted that is, that is getting at if you do well, will there not be a lifting of your face? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, your face will be lifted. In other words, don't be discouraged. Don't be hopeless. There's still an opportunity here for Cain. He had not done well. Which gets us back up to that point. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. A very matter-of-fact statement with nothing exceptional about it. Because Cain hadn't really done well in his heart towards the Lord. We know that what the Lord is pleased with in terms of offerings is that they're worshipful. Is that they're sincere. But Cain here was doing something out of obligation. He had not done well. There wasn't a heart of worship in him as he brought his offering. It wasn't like he brought carrots and the Lord was like, I hate carrots. <laughs> you know I love apples. Amen, bro? <laughs> What's happening here is that Cain brought something out of an insincerity in his heart. He brought something not out of worship, but out of just mere duty. And he was angry at the rejection that he felt when his duty was not requited by God. I've done my duty to you, now you're supposed to do your duty towards me. I brought you something and you bless me for it. But instead, because God sees the heart, he said, no, this is not done well. This is not done worshipfully. So I, I don't give you blessing in return for you doing something out of heartless duty. So his face falls and he's angry and God says, don't you know that if you do well, your face will be lifted? But look at what he says in the second half. The negative side of it. If you do not do well, and, and keep in mind what's happening here in terms of doing well. Again, it's, it's important for us to keep on checking in that we're not talking about just mere performance. We're not talking about bringing the right things at the right time, saying the right words. We're talking about a matter of the heart. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now that language is familiar, isn't it? We heard it not long ago, just in chapter 3. To the woman, he said, God said to Eve, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now God is telling Cain, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You see how that, those things mirror each other. It's the same concept. And what's happening here is the very same thing that God was telling Eve which is not just that you'll have a desire for your husband, like you'll love him so much and you'll just want to be near to him and you'll want to be his. That's not the desire that God is talking about. The desire here literally is not for, but against. That's the other rendering of the Hebrew. So when God is telling Cain, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. What he's saying is its desire is against you. It wants to rule you. It wants to be your master. But you must rule over it. 
How does Cain do? Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. This is the first instance, at least that we know of, of murder. Now, Cain obviously failed here. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering that the Lord was not pleased with because it wasn't worshipful. He didn't do well in his heart towards the Lord. And then when the Lord comes to him and says, look, do well in your heart and your face will be lifted and watch out for sin. You're on the doorstep with sin and you're trying to negotiate with sin, but if you don't rule over it, it will rule over you. And Cain's response again is a failure. But where is all this failure birthed from? Where is it coming from inside of him? That's the key in the text for us. That's, that's what's so important for us to understand about Cain. Not just to kind of categorize him over here as this really bad type of person. Like there's really good types of people and then there's people like Cain. And I just want to be a better kind of person. I just don't want to be Cainish. That's not what we're trying to do here. Just do well, just perform well, just bring the right kinds of things in the right way, saying the right thing at the right time, and God will do whatever he's supposed to do towards you. That's not what we're getting at. What we're seeing here is into the heart of a person who lacks faith. And I'm not just going to put that out there as an opinion of mine. I'm going to let the Bible teach you that. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 6. So all the way into the New Testament... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Acts, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 6, starting at the first verse. Now we know that this is all something that is happening before Christ has come. In terms of Genesis chapter 4. Christ has not come. Adam and Eve have sinned. Sin has entered into creation. Creation is fractured. The human heart is broken now and is bent towards sinfulness. And our relationship with God is severed because He's holy and we're not. And Christ has not yet come and bridged that gap of holiness. But for us, as we read Genesis chapter 4 and we're looking into the heart of Cain to understand his failure, we need to understand where we stand as the church. Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If we've died to sin, that is, we've put our faith in Christ and His death 
has become our death. The old me is dead. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That is, we died a death when we came into Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So Christ died to sin and then was raised to God and through an act of our faith in Christ, we die to sin and are raised to God. Verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's not just about the old you dying, it's about the new you living. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, enslaved, not just battling with, not that it's just crouching at the door and every day we come to the door and we're like waiting for a chance to sneak past it and get, out, uh, get about our day, not negotiating, it wants to enslave you. But we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now listen. Verse 12, I wish there was a therefore in the text here because everything that's about to be said is built on what was just said. In Christ, the old you is dead and now there's a new you living in Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Think of Cain. Think of Cain. Sin crouching at the door because his heart wasn't turned towards God in faith and in worship. Sin was ruling over him, making him obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. Cain is dead. This is the whole point. Cain is dead to God. He has no faith in God. Now look at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. But sin did have dominion over Cain, did it not? And he was obeying its passions. 1 John 3.12 we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain murdered Abel because sin was his master. Because he hated Abel. Because he hated God. He was angry at God. The difference between the heart of Abel compared to the heart of Cain was just this. 
Faith in God. That's it. Faith in God. This was the difference in their disposition, faith in God. Again, I'm going to let the Bible teach you this. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. More acceptable. Acceptable to who? Acceptable to God. What does God accept? God accepts a faithful offering. But Cain's offering was faithless. But it was by faith that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, he, though he died, he still speaks. So the writer of Hebrews here is getting at a particular point, that it's through your faith that you're counted as righteous. Through your faith, always through your faith, always not through your deeds, not through your works, not through your personal attainment of holiness, but through your faith in God, God counts you as righteous. The, the, the writer of Hebrews lists all of these fathers of our faith and said it was because of their faith that they were saved. Because of their faith that they were counted as righteous. And Abel is probably the very first example we have in the scriptures of someone in comparison to another person was counted as righteous because of his faith. Again, why did he bring this offering, the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions? Why did he bring the best, the greatest, the most precious thing to offer to God? Was it because he was a better person? Was it because he didn't have a sinful nature and Cain did? No, they both had a sinful nature. Was it because Cain was more separated from God? No. We are all born separated from God. It was because of his faith in God that righteousness was in his heart and he brought the better gift. Now where did this faith come from? How is it that Abel had faith and Cain didn't? Since we know that's really the crux of what's happening here. Cain was faithless. Abel was faithful. They both were battling sin. Sin was crouching at both of their doors. But why was Abel able to master it and Cain wasn't? I felt like I misspoke for a second. Why is that? What, what was the difference? Again, it was the faith. It was just that Abel had faith in God and Cain didn't. Abel trusted the Lord where Cain didn't. But where does the faith come from? Something innate inside of Abel? Something even more broken inside of Cain? The faith comes from God too. Ephesians 2.8 for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift from God. So we can say without any doubt that the difference between Cain and Abel, not speaking about the faith that's in their hearts, but speaking about just their situations, it is purely the grace of God. That's what you have to trace this thing back to. 
There was grace from God on Abel where there was not the same grace from God on Cain. And now that presents a problem for the human being. Why would it that there'd be two human beings, one experiencing grace that results in faith, that results in righteousness, that it results in acceptance, and another one who is not receiving the same grace, which leads to unrighteousness, which leads to a gift that doesn't please God, and a rejection? Why? And that this is not just some, you know, happenstance thing that was like, well, look, you'll do better next time. He was cursed for his sin. This set in course a a line of events that caused Cain to be driven out from peoples and his children carried on this legacy of sinfulness, of unrighteousness. This was serious. This wasn't just some one-time thing. This has monstrous implications. The reason why we struggle with this concept of the grace of God on Abel's life and not the same grace of God, although there was grace on Cain's life, but a grace that leads to faith, that leads to righteousness, that leads to acceptance, that that was different. The reason why we struggle with that is because we think of grace the way Cain did. I brought you something, where are you? I gave you a thing. Where's the thing you give me? He wanted to earn the grace of God. Look at what he says. After God speaks to him and curses him, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me away today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. From your face I shall be hidden. In the Hebrew Language always and in Hebrew culture and in Hebrew religion, the face of God shining on you and turned towards you was a sign of his blessing towards you. God loves you if his face is turned towards you and if his face is turned against you or away from you, you're under a curse and under a judgment from God. And Cain is saying, this is too great for me. Why have you done this? You've turned your face from me. Well, what did you want, Cain? You thought you had somehow earned the face of God turned towards you? We treat grace the same way Cain did. I do this, you give me that. I act like this, you act like that. I put this in, this comes out. But grace is not something we can control. It's a gift. It's a gift. And the heart of God is gracious. It's also sovereign. It's also all wise. And God is free to give grace to whom he'll give grace and not to those he will not. And if it's a gift and not earned, then there's no injustice. Human beings are fallen creatures. Cain didn't receive the same grace that led to faith, that led to righteousness, that led to acceptance. And it's all under the umbrella of God's sovereign freedom and his wisdom, as difficult as it is. But in any case, we know this sin is crouching at the door for every single human being. Sin is crouching at the door. 
And what does that picture kind of elicit in your mind? If you imagine the, the imagery that God used here, this is the words of God. This isn't just some human illustration. This is what it feels like, or this is how I imagine it. God is saying, this is your reality. Human being, sin is crouching at your door. And as you try to live your life and go on your way, sin is always waiting to spring up and take hold of you, to devour you, to conquer you. Always, perpetually, relentlessly, hatefully. It wants to eat you. It's at all of our doorsteps. Its desire is for you. That is to say, it is against you. It wants to rule you. But you must rule over it. Now, if Abel was able to rule over his sin in any way, we know that it wasn't something innate inside of him. It was the grace of God on him and his faith in God that allowed him to rule over the sin that was crouching at his door. And because of his faith and this spirit-gifted ability to rule over his sin and worship God truthfully from the heart that he offered his good gift. This is just a precursor. This, This is a microcosm of what it looks like to either walk by the Spirit or walk in the flesh. We're seeing a foreshadowing here of someone who follows God, loves God, trusts God, and is counted righteous because of their faith in God and is therefore living a life of obedience under God's grace. And then the difference against someone who is walking in the flesh, who is mastered by their sin, who is a slave to it. So who are we? We're always trying to find ourselves in the text, aren't we? We're always trying to find out who am I here? What does this mean for me? If you're in Christ, then you are able. You are the person who has the same sinful nature, the same brokenness, the same sin crouching at the door, and yet the grace of God on you has caused faith in your heart to make you righteous before God and lead you to a life of obedience. Still a struggle, still difficult, still requires daily faith. But if you're in Christ, you're able. If you're not in Christ, you are Cain. You're unable to rule over your sin. It masters you. You are its slave. And it will lead to a life of unrighteousness and disobedience and ultimately judgment from God. Now here's the thing that Christians need to learn from this. Are we able in this story because we've, again, done something to become able? No, we've established it's the grace of God that has put us in this position of righteousness, 
of acceptance. So then apart from Christ, who are we? We're Cain. In and of myself, I am Cain. We are Cain. So to read this passage and just be like, man, the dude worships God, and because God was more pleased, you murder him, you murder your brother. Like, it's just your parents and you guys. Each one of you is like a quarter of Earth's population. You murdered one-fourth of humanity because of a moment of disappointment. You were so angry. Why were you so angry? Listen, why are we so angry? Why are we so angry? Anger is born out of frustration. Frustration is born out of unmet expectation. What were we expecting? We have expectations that we put on God, and when He doesn't meet them, we get frustrated. And when He continues to frustrate us, we get angry. And sin is crouching at the door. Praise God that by His Spirit, the empowerment of God's Spirit inside of us, we're able to resist the urge to, to follow that sin, but instead we can rule over it, we can resist it, we can even put it to death. But apart from this working of the Spirit of God, we are Cain. And that needs to just sit with us and humble us. And it should also create worship inside of us. That God has done something we were unable to do and not even asking Him to do. And yet He did it. For our good, for His glory, He has caused us to become Able. Now the text here, when, when Cain is realizing the weight of what he's done and God's judgment over it, he's realizing that grace is not something that is earned, it's something that is given by God, and that it produces faith, and it was a lack of faith in God that caused Cain to fall Verse 14, behold, you've driven me away today from the ground and from your face shall I be hidden. Now he's, he's just kind of fantasizing about how this judgment is going to play out. What are the implications? How do I continue living in a world where God's face, God's grace is not turned towards me? I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord displays grace even on Cain. He said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. People have been trying for centuries to figure out what the mark was. Just stop it. Seriously. Just quit it. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Not coincidentally, the word Nod means wandering. Now look at what happens here, the legacy of Cain. Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. 
When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. That's the first time that's happened, right? Lamech took two wives. Jesus said it was not so from the beginning that people would have multiple wives, that people would be divorcing and remarrying, but if it was one man and one woman for all of their life, their two shall become one flesh. The man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, right? This is the design of God. But Lamech, a descendant of Cain, had two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal, the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, the father of all who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Namot. Now, are all those things great things for humanity? Music and tents and livestock and iron and bronze tools, those are all great things. God is still able to do good even through fallen creatures. Look at verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. What's he doing here? He's boasting. He's boasting that some young dude smacked him in the face and he killed him for it. Somebody harms Cain, the revenge is sevenfold. Listen, somebody harms Lamech, 77-fold. You touch me, I kill you. Check me out, wives. Look how dangerous I am. Look how powerful I am. Nobody can stop me. Nobody can touch me. An authority unto himself. And he's proud of it. Now, I want you to imagine, if you would, Adam and Eve watching life unfold after they've sinned. To know life before they've sinned, the peace, the shalom of the Lord, just this rhythm of grace in their lives, and everything they touch just works. They eat everything that God has given them to eat and they enjoy unbroken fellowship with Him. They are holy. God is holy. All of their desires are good and God is granting them favor. And now, because of their failure, look at what's happening. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. One had faith in God and one didn't. The one who had faith in God was murdered by the one who didn't. Now the only offspring they have is a murderer. But God had told Eve, your offspring will crush the serpent who deceived you. His power will be broken. There'll be redemption. What now? Do I expect... Cain, a murderer who hates God and has no faith that some of his offspring, look at his offspring, they're taking multiple wives. They're bragging about being murderers. Sin is increasing in the world now. And Abel is dead. Where will redemption come from? 
How does Eve have any hope that God's promise will come true? In such a dark, dark time. Look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Do you see that divergence? This, this utterly sinful, faithless line of humanity who's multiplying in the earth and doing wicked things, hating one another, hating God. And now God has been gracious. And in such a dark time, God has caused this shaft of light to enter back into humanity by giving another son. Another son who would begin a new family line in the world. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord, which gives the sense that they began to actually organize together and worship God. They began to become the people of God. There were those who were not calling on the Lord, and there are those who were. Now, this kind of stuff just really makes me excited. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 3. Sin is running rampant. It's increasing in the earth now in Genesis chapter 4. Cain is a murderer. Lamech is a murderer and a polygamist. They hate God. And there's no other line of humanity to put any hope in, to see any redemption from an offspring of Eve. And now I want you to look all the way at the end of chapter 3, and we're going to re reverse engineer the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Adam, the son of God. What's the very next name you see? Seth. Seth. Where did Jesus come from? Jesus came from Seth. So, in keeping with his character, his gracious heart and nature, God supplied another son to replace the one who was murdered, Seth. And it was from the line of Seth that Jesus was born into the world to save us from our sins, to conquer Satan. Here's what that means. The Lord will always keep his promises. We just need to trust him. Even in the darkest time, trust God. 
Put faith in God. There couldn't be a darker day than the days of Cain and Lamech. But God was not scared. God provided. He was seeing his plan through until completion. And he did so, not in this way that we look to, that says, wow, look at what God did for Adam and Eve, and that it led to Jesus coming. And that's just an example of how God will, even in the darkest, most confusing days, God will continue seeing his plans through. And if we just trust God with whatever our situation is, then we'll see him come through. Like, yes, it means that, but actually this isn't just an example of how God fulfills his promises. This is God fulfilling all of your hopes. Everything you could ever need has been fulfilled in God doing what God did in Genesis chapter 4. He gave another son so that through that line, Jesus would come into the world and conquer everything that seeks to destroy you. Everything. Sin is crouching at your door. God has put Jesus, his son, on a cross to suffer under the wrath of the Father against all of our sin so that sin's power over us was demolished. Sin cannot destroy you when you're in Christ. This isn't just an example, some Old Testament kind of illusion that we look to to see how God can work. This is God working for you. He saved you. Put your faith in God. He will not fail. It was thousands and thousands of years between the birth of Seth and the birth of Christ. How many people lost faith in that thousands of years? We can't lose faith. We have the opportunity now to look back over the span of history and see that God never lost control. He was always working, always faithful, always sovereign. And just as we want to sit under the reality that apart from Christ, each one of us is Cain and our sin masters and rules over us, we need to now sit under this reality that if we're in Christ... Everything has been completed for our salvation. Trust God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.